Hey, you guys, I don't know if you know this about this guy, Daniel, but he is one of our own. Uh, He's from Utah, on our staff. Uh, He fell in love with the people of Honduras. He's gone as a missionary to share Jesus with the people there. He fell in love with them. He fell in love with a woman, got married. This is one of our own, and he's back. So just give him a round of a... (laughs) It's good to have have, have a son back home, so... Uh, anyway, we, we're, we're happy to be here tonight. Obviously, different, different sort of thing, uh, what we're up to. And this year, we've decided, uh, we have holidays, you know, we have holidays that we celebrate. The Jewish holidays all surrounded who God was, and they all told a story about who God was. So there's seven major feasts and festivals in the Jewish calendar, all mandated by Scripture, which is cool. And three of those uh, actually required every single person in the whole nation to come back to Jerusalem. And the fun part about that is this year, we decided as a church, we want to take those three main feasts and festivals and actually, in some way, shape, or form, do them here with you guys so we can understand more of our roots and what we're up to and how we connect back with what the stories of, of, of God uh, with, with the Jewish people and, and what that actually says about who our God is. And like Daniel was saying, tonight we actually get to partake in this story that, that is a taste and see sort of moment. Uh, where we actually get to experience God in a whole new way. And this is a story of who our God is and what he did with these people and what he will do with us today. Don't just think this is something that God did, but it's something God is doing right now. And so as we start, before we get into the promises that this is all built on, we want to create some space for you tonight. And so the the first few elements will just be about creating space in our heart because you all came in with stuff. You probably like, I mean, yesterday I was building a shed. I don't know what you do, what you do on Saturdays, but you're like probably doing stuff in the yard and it's nicer weather. You've got stuff on your mind. You've got things you're going to go do maybe after this. So we want to make space for God to work tonight. You want God to work here tonight? Okay, cool. Well, to start us off. Typically, the father, the patriarch of the family, would do something uh, called the, well, it's finding the leaven. So I'm going to ask Kip to go ahead and take that over right now. So be, before the, uh, we get to the meal, before we get to the cups, the father had a very important job, um, very specific job, and that was to clear the household of leaven or, or yeast. And... It was actually probably done by the mother the day before, um, but intentionally leaving a few crumbs behind so that the symbolic gesture um, of clearing the house of leaven could be seen by the, all the guests or the family. And so what happened is the father would take a, a feather and a plate and he would go around and sweep all the cupboards, all the counters, all the nooks and crannies, anywhere that leaven could be hiding in the household and discard that onto the plate. Um, And this was all done with the expectation that God was going to show up at our meal and and creating uh, a, a perfect holy place for him to be able to do that. Leaven is a representation of sin in our lives. And... So this was all done with the idea that 
we are not only clearing the household of leaven, but clearing our hearts and our lives of sin. And uh, so right now, we're, they also would worship quite a bit during, during the Passover meal. So we're going to worship right now. And I want you to take the, that time, that time of worship, um, to search your own heart, to search your own lives um, for any leaven, any leaven that you want God to come through and brush away. And hand that up to Him, confess that to Him, and, and clear a space for God to come into your lives, come into your heart, and do something miraculous. So to continue to make space, I'm gonna go ahead and invite Angie to come up and light these candles. And typically the, uh, the matriarch of the family would come up and, and do something like this, where they would actually light candles, making, continuing to create the space. We've just laid our hearts bare in front of God. We've confessed our sins. We've laid the leaven out. And then after that, like after we, we, we tell God, yeah, I'm, I'm broken, I'm a sinner. Like we actually want God's light to fill us up. We, we, we've created space for him, and now we want his word, his life to come in and, and, and bring life. And, and as we know, when, when we have special occasions in your own home, I'm sure, every time, I, I don't know if you've ever been to the Nelson's house, but uh, Susie Nelson, every time I've been to her house, has candles, right? And so this is, this is something where when, when we have a special occasion in our own home, we, we, we bring candles and do things like this. We want to we invite God tonight. And so I'm going to invite Angie to go ahead and invite God into this space to bring his light into our life tonight. Mighty God, we welcome you here. We ask you to come and be with us. Light of the world, a good, good father, a redeemer. We're just so grateful to be able to do a, the cedar dinner and you tell us in your word to remember, remember the miracles, remember the things that you do for your people and just the faithfulness through the years that you are always there, you're always with us and you're always working to redeem us and to draw us near to you and to give us light and to give us life in our lives and to just change us. We can't do it without you and we just pray that tonight each person here can be touched in a unique way to just know you better and draw nearer to you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So this sort of you know, service seems foreign to us, but I want to make sure that we all know this isn't just something that was made up um, out of the blue. Like there, There's things that were added through Jewish tradition, but this is all rooted in the text, in the scriptures. And so we're going to go ahead. The whole, the whole meal is pinned on four promises, and they come out of Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And Reagan's going to go ahead and share that with us. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Thank you, Reagan. Now there's four promises. I will bring you out, I will free you, I will redeem you, and I will take you as my own. And so these four promises are actually 
represented in the meal by four cups. And so I'm going to go ahead and ask Bryson to fill my cups. And then uh, you, you guys can go ahead and fill the cups here at the table. And if you want, go ahead and at this time start opening your box. And we'll get to the cups in just a minute. Be persistent, they'll, they'll, get, they'll get there. They're a little stickier than we imagine. <clears throat> okay, I <clears throat> just wanna, before, before you grab out any cups, I wanna give an illustration of what these, these cups mean. So we have the cup of sanctification, I will bring you out. The cup of deliverance, I will set you free. The cup of redemption, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And the cup of protection, I will take you as my own. These four cups are those four promises. Now, how many of you, this is church, so you have to be honest, how many of you struggle with sin? Okay, uh, I hope it's something that we all can admit to, right? God is still working on us. We're struggling. We're, we're not perfect. And if you're new here, know that. Like, you're, you're, not, uh, you're not foreign to any of us. We, we're so happy that you're here tonight. Uh, but this, this is a promise that I think we can actually take each one of these and apply to our own life and our own struggle with sin. He's taking a nation out of slavery. How many of you have ever felt slave to your sin? He's saying... I am going to take you out of slavery. So that first promise, he's saying, I'm going to take you out of your sin. But you might be saying, well, it's, it's fine that you take me out, but I still desire it, right? You, you might have taken me out of Egypt. You might have taken me out of my sin, but I still have this sin nature, this desire to go out and do those things. Well, God's saying, I will deliver you. I will set you free. Do you believe that? That's the cup of deliverance. Well, you might have taken me away from it, you might have set me free, but I don't know how to live a different life. He's saying, guess what? I'm gonna bring you into my family. I'm gonna redeem you with an outstretched arm. Now, just wanna show you that, that this, this is called a prayer shawl. Now, this was actually something that was commanded in scripture as well. He, God said, so we would remember as a, as a nation that we were a kingdom of priests, meaning everybody in Israel was responsible for representing God. He said, put tassels on the corner of your garments. How many of you have corners on your garments? They, they made one with corners. So the Jewish people are, look at that. It's a cool thing what they've done. And when he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, he's, look, look at this. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. It looks like, how many of you remember the Psalms where it says, I'll rest in the shadow of your wings? What does this look like? Yeah, God, God is actually, he's, he's coming and, and he's going to take us into his family. Make us part of his own, right? And so he's saying, if you're talking about the sin nature, he's actually gonna show us a new way of life because now we're part of God's family. And if, if you were part of my family, I'm gonna show you what it means to be a Murphy, right? But God's saying, you're part of my family, I'm gonna show you what it looks like. I've, I've taken you out, I've delivered you from it, I've set you free, and now I'm gonna show you a new way of life 
well, that's all fine and good, but what if I mess up? What if I go back? How many of you have felt that before? Where God's saying, I will take you as my own. He's saying, I'm, I'm marrying you. How many, of, how many of you have just, you've been in the middle of that, and, he's, and, and God's just like, hey, I don't, I'm not going to abandon my wife. I, if I've adopted you, if I've brought you into my household, I'm not going to kick you out. I'm going to protect you. You're mine. These are great promises that God has brought that are going to be our reminders that we get to actually taste and see tonight. And so we're going to start off with the first cup, which, by the way, each one of these cups, when it's full, uh, you can pull your first one out and take the lid off. Um, it represents God's joy. Just, some, you know, oftentimes they would actually be taking part in wine, right? So uh, we're, we're doing grape juice tonight, but it's, uh, this, is, this is the joy of this cup that we're taking part in. And so let's go ahead. You have to drink the whole thing. Um, so uh, go ahead and partake in the cup of God's sanctification. He's taking us out of the land of slavery. And in order to, to signify what God is doing there, he's actually removing us from sin. We're going to go ahead and take part in, what, in, in a washing. Because we, we want, there, there was definitely a physical washing that took place the night of Jesus' last supper. But we also want to do a spiritual washing tonight. And so I'm going to go ahead and ask Chloe to take over for that. So before any food was eaten, Jesus, the Son of God, remember this, the Son of God, came and he got a basin of water and he poured it over the feet of each disciple. So I want you to take your wet wipe out of your box. Go ahead and open that up. And this is going to be symbolizing the purification of the heart. And since Jesus washed the disciples' feet, it was because their feet were muddy and dirty from walking from wherever they were. But I'm pretty sure none of you walked here. Maybe you did. But a lot of us came by car. So we're not going to wash your feet today. We're going to take your wet wipe and do a couple of exercises. So the first one I want you to do is to take your wet wipe and put it on your forehead. And you can repeat this after me out loud or in your head, but this is what we're going to say to the Lord. Cleanse my mind so that my thoughts would be your thoughts. And just take a couple of seconds of um, personal reflection with Jesus and just give over any thoughts that are not of him. Now you're going to take your wipe and put it over your heart. And you're going to say this to the Lord. Cleanse my heart so my desires would be your desires. And just take this time to 
give over to the Lord any desires that do not align with his desires for you. Next, you're going to clean your hands and you're going to say this to the Lord, cleanse my hands that I might do the things you have for me. And just take this time to ask the Lord what he has for you and that you would start to do those things. Next, you're gonna take your wipe and you're going to wipe your feet. Let's go ahead and wipe your feet and say, cleanse my feet that I might walk in your ways. And just take this time to think about how cool Jesus is and that we get to walk in his way. So give over any, any way that you are walking away from him over to him to right now. Grab this, what's called the bitter herbs or the greens. And this is just a sprig of parsley. But it's supposed to represent um, the, the hyssop. And I don't know if you remember in the story, but there, the, the hyssop was what God told them to, to use to take the blood of the lamb after it was sacrificed and to put it on the doorposts so that the angel would pass over their house. Now, we're going to dip this in a, in a moment in the salt water. So you, if you want to go ahead, there's a cup of water. It looks clear, but it's salt water. And so if you want to take the, the cup off of that, you can go ahead. And one of the things that we want to remember, the reason why we're taking this and we're going to eat it, a bitter herb, is because uh, we, we, we really want to remember the fact that God commanded these, uh, these Israelites uh, to take a lamb or a ram or a goat, and to put it out in the front of their house, to set it apart from the other animals, and to leave it outside for four days. Now, all the 10 plagues were actually direct assaults on gods that Egypt, the e Egypt would uh, sacrifice to and worship. And the, the greatest of those gods, you may have heard of him, is Ra. Now, Ra, all these had animals in which represented them. Ra, uh, the animal that represented him was a lamb or a ram or a goat. Now, when these Israelites had to make the decision about whether or not they were going to sacrifice this lamb before the Passover, they would have been taking their lives into their own hands because they're sacrificing what would have been they're the God of all their neighbors, right? So all their neighbors are looking at this ram that's sitting out in front of their house for days on end, and then the, the, the children of Israel come and, and sacrifice this thing. And it would have been an affront on the greatest God of the, of the nation of Egypt. And you might wonder, why are we dipping this into salt water instead of 
like wine or, or one of these cups that would represent blood, it's because if you think of yourself as the, the, the head of the household, think of yourself as being responsible for children in that house, imagine the feeling that you would have been going through when you're sacrificing what looked like their God and, and, uh, and then putting its, its blood on your doorpost. You'd be taking your life into your own hands, it feels like. And what if God doesn't show up? It's, it's the first act of faith that the children of Israel had to take in order to follow God into the future that he had for them. And many, many people since then have had to take that same act, right? And, and it's what we're actually being asked to today. As a church, we, we talk about having radical faith or reckless faith. That's the sort of faith that says, I'm going to put blood on my doorpost, and if God doesn't show up tomorrow, I might get murdered by my neighbors. And so let's remember that when the children of Israel would have done this, I imagine it would have come with just a few tears. So let's go ahead and dip this in the, the salt water and partake in the bitter herbs. Now, the next part in this cup of sanctification is matzah. And you guys have matzah in, in, your, uh, in your trays. Uh, take a, just a tiny little bit of that and just break it off and just take a little taste. All right? It's not really flavorful. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. Now I can't talk. Well, at this time in the meal, they would actually take three pieces of this matzah and they would put it into what, uh, a napkin. And it, it's called a matzah tash. And this napkin has, it's one napkin with three compartments. And you'd put the pieces of matzah in this, this bag. And the matzah is interesting because it represents how fast God worked. Now, I know when we were going through the explanation of cups, how many of you have felt like, God, why didn't you just deliver me from my sin today? Like, why, why have I had to wait so long? How many of you felt that before? Well, it's a reminder that when God moves, he moves so fast oftentimes that like the children of Israel, the bread didn't even have time to rise, right? That's, that's how fast God moves. And, and then when you look at this matzah, that's actually got burn marks on it. It's got piercings and stripes. And it's interesting because as Christians, we look at that and we say, there's some imagery here. Like, for example, in Psalm 53 of the Suffering Servant Psalms, it says, he was bruised, he was pierced, he was crushed, by his stripes we are healed. You look at this piece of bread and you think, wow, there's some imagery potentially here of that suffering servant, which might be foreshadowing of Jesus. The other piece that's interesting about the foreshadowing is that the centerpiece of the matzah is actually broken in half, and then it was put back inside of the matzatash. And then half of it was put into this bag, and it was hidden. This bag, uh, this part is called the afikoman. And so I need this to be hidden real quick. 
Samile, thank you. <clears throat> now, this three-in-one type of thing that's going on with this, this matzah, uh, that in, for the Jewish people would have had imagery of like, you have the patriarchs. They would have been representing one household, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, three-in-one. Obviously, as we think about it, as followers of Christ, it seems to have imagery that, that goes beyond that to perhaps the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we're going to go ahead and get back to that in just a moment. Um, every time they would have a Passover meal, they wanted to make sure they told the story. And, and part of that was that God commanded them to, to pass this story on to their children. Uh, they, in Deuteronomy, I'm, I'm reading Deuteronomy right now, and just this, what I was reading this last week, it says to put it on your doorposts and your gates you got to post it everywhere so your children are raised in this. And so every year, uh, they would have the, one of the children ask these questions. So I'm going to go ahead. This is my son, Miles. And he's going to ask a couple questions here. So go ahead, Miles. Why is this night different from the other nights? Well, Miles, we, we want to actually remember the story and what it says about God. And so I'm going to go ahead and have Bryson tell the story to you, Miles. Okay, Miles. It's a good story here. Uh, if you guys have never heard the story, it's, it's a story about how God hears his people's cries, remembers the promises that he has, and then delivers his people from slavery. So God's people have been in bondage for 400 years back-breaking labor. There's no rest. Could you imagine a day that you're not going to school, Miles? Yeah, it's like that, but worse. In Exodus 3, God calls Moses at the burning bush, and he says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. God remembers the promises that he made with Abraham, and he chooses Moses to be the guy that's going to lead them all. But Moses didn't really, didn't think he was the guy, but he was. God said, you're going to do this. So what follows is a struggle between God, Moses, and Pharaoh. God brings 10 plagues upon the people. The river turning to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, the death of livestock, boils, hail, locusts. And the last two, darkness, and the culmination of all of this was the Passover meal and the, and the death of the firstborn son. So, if you were in Egypt back then, Miles, that would have been you since you were the firstborn son. So, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so, this happens. They do the Passover meal. They mark the door with the blood, and the angel of death passes over them, and Pharaoh finally lets the people go because during the story, God was hardening Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go during the other plagues, but this one, God finally lets them go. But... He changes his mind when they're down the road, and he eventually gives the pursuit. When Moses, when Moses approaches the Red Sea, he hits the ground with the staff, the, splee, the, the sea splits open, and they make it into the promised land to be able to worship God. What else you got, Miles? Why do we eat all kinds of veggies most nights, but tonight only bitter herbs? Well, the bitter herbs come because we know that people have, who've gone before us have suffered for their faith, and that we might also suffer, but we know that God's goodness is always around. 
Why do we dip our food in salt water? Uh, the same sort of thing. It's, it may be bitter. I, uh, there's going to be tears that come with our faith, Miles. As, as you grow up, you're going to find that out. There's going to be hard things that God asks you to do that's going to cause um, hurt in your life even. But it's, he, he comes through with his promises. That's what we're learning tonight. Why are we eating unleaded bread when we usually eat bread with yeast? Unleaded bread, Miles. We, we, got, uh, we got some good bread here tonight. Uh, well, it's, it's because what I mentioned earlier, Miles, the, uh, the bread didn't even have time to rise. And so God, when he actually decides to move, he moves so quickly that we, we can actually see him deliver us and bring freedom in our life, which is really cool. Now, I'm going to go ahead and pass over. We're going to move into the second cup, and I'm going to give this over to Mike. He's going to explain it to us. I'll invite those at the table to fill the cup. So in the Jewish world, a full cup symbolizes joy. And before we take the uh, second cup, the cup of deliverance, we have to remember uh, that that joy came at a cost. And in the Exodus story, the costs are the plagues that we heard about. And so we have to diminish the cup just slightly to remember the cost that, that was paid. And how we're going to do that is by taking our finger, and you're going to dip it in your cup, and you're going to take one drop out. So do that with me. And the first drop symbolizes blood. Second drop is frogs. Then the third is lice. Then flies. Then pestilence. Sixth, we have boils. Then hail. Followed by locusts. Then darkness. And finally, the death of the firstborn. So now that we've diminished the joy by remembering the cost, we can start to drink the cup of deliverance together. Chloe really filled my cup of deliverance. <laughs> it's a good thing this isn't the real stuff. Yeah. Hey, what university do you go to? <laughs> so at this point, uh, in the original day, we would have had a second washing, and it's known as the Raksa. Uh, say that with me in Hebrew. Raksa. Raksa. Um, and the first washing would have been a very practical washing. Um, 
And uh, the second washing would have been uh, more of a spiritual washing, remembering the internal washing that has to uh, come in our lives. We've already had a washing, so we won't go through that again. Um, and uh, as explained earlier, uh, the, the matzah reminds us of the speed of deliverance. Now, the Hebrews were enslaved for 400 years, but uh, at the moment God decided that it was time for deliverance, uh, it happened so quickly that the Hebrews didn't even have time to let their bread dough rise. Um, and then I want to draw your attention to the bones sitting around the table. Um, this is what would be called the, the moror, and it's, it's lamb. I don't believe these are actually lamb. That, that is, that, that one's lamb. was eaten by one of the people at our um, And the, the lamb is a symbol of the, uh, the revolution that was going to overtake Egypt, God's revolution that was going to overtake Egypt. And we think about the Passover lamb uh, whose blood was shed and spread on the doorpost for protection from the curse of death. And it reminds us of Jesus, the Lamb of God, whose blood was shed uh, to free us from the penalty of sin. And now we're going to do something really cool. Uh, I think you all have horseradish. Mm -hmm. This would be called the Korak. I'm not going to ask you to say that. Um, but the, uh, this horseradish uh, is going to also represent our sin. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a piece of matzah. So break off a piece of your matzah. And we're going to dip it in the horseradish and then eat. Um, and this is going to burn. It's going to sting. And, and that's on purpose because we're reminded of our sin. And we're reminded that sin is a stench in the nostrils of our holy God. Um, now, you can take a, a, a little bit of horseradish, or you can take a big dollop of horseradish. Remember, this represents your sin, and we're in church, so. Um, uh, but let's do that. Let's uh, take our matzah and our korech and partake together. And as you feel that in your mouth and in your nostrils, think about Christ's sacrifice. And it's, it's easy for us to think, um, for God so loved the world, and Christ died for the sins of the world. But think about as you feel that burn. I hope you're feeling it. I am. <laughs> um, think about uh, not just our collective sin, but, but your sin. It was your sin that Christ took to the cross. So at this point in the meal, um, Jesus began to speak about his betrayer. And there's in, uh, you'll notice our, our setup here. Boy, I'm really feeling that sin. <laughs> yeah. Whoever set this up got us a spicy one up here. So you guys, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so this table, the way it's set up, is called a triclinium. And when you sit at the triclinium, you would sit in triads. So we have one triad over here, another triad. Here's a triad. 
and we finally have the final triad over here. And when Jesus was celebrating this with his disciples, there would have been 13 seats, right? Jesus plus the 12 disciples. So there would have been a single seat here on the end. And uh, as is the case with our dinner tonight, uh, they would be sharing bowls. And uh, from John 13, uh, we know that the disciple whom Jesus loved, namely John, <laughs> I like how he refers to himself that way, uh, he was reclining at the table. And so they would have been sat around on pillows, not on chairs. They'd have been sitting on the floor on pillows, and it says that he was reclining at the table. So there's only one seat at this table where somebody could recline and lean up against Jesus's breast. And we, we know there's only one seat because you would eat, in the, in the Hebrew world, you would eat with your right hand, right? You would take the elements, you'd dip, you'd eat with your right hand. Your left hand was reserved for doing other things. And it wasn't holding a microphone. So your left hand was unclean, your right hand was clean, and you would consume with your right hand. So the one seat would have been uh, leaning up against Jesus. In the Hebrew world, the rightmost side of the table would have been the highest seat of honor. You hear Jesus talking about the seats of honor at different feasts and festivals. So this triad is more honorable than this triad. And the most honorable seat at the table is where Kip is sitting. Raise your hand, Kip. And so if uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved was leaning back on his left elbow against Jesus, it had to be the seat where Angie is sitting. Um, now we know that uh, as Jesus mentions his betrayer, uh, Peter motions to John and says, hey, ask him who it was. Ask him who's going to do this. And uh, what does Jesus say? He said, uh, it's the, the one with whom is uh, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me shall betray me. Now remember, they're sharing bowls. So where was, Je where, where was Judas sitting? He had to be sitting next to Jesus, <laughs> um, sharing a bowl. He who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me shall betray me. Um, there's also a theory that, and you're not gonna prove this from scripture, but that Peter would have been sitting in the single seat looking directly across the table at John, and that's why the scripture records him saying, hey, ask him who it is. Um, so just think about that for a second. Think about the order of the table. The right is the most honorable. The left is the least honorable. Judas, the betrayer, is sitting at the, the second most honorable seat next to Jesus. And Peter, the chief disciple, the star student, is likely sitting at the end. Now, that's indicative of the upside-downness of God's kingdom right? And it makes sense. It clarifies the scripture for us, why the disciples might have been confused about who is the greatest among us. Who's going to sit at your right hand and your left hand, Jesus, right? And they're looking around and they're like, the star student's sitting down here and Judas is sitting down here. What's going on? What Jesus was trying to show his disciples is that service in the kingdom is the way to greatness, right? It's not about who has the power 
or the title or the money. It's about service. Those who serve are the greatest. So finally, we're going to move on to the egg. And the egg represents shalom or peace. And we remember how God restores peace by breaking into our brokenness. And he restores us to wholeness. Um, But before we eat, remember that the salt water represents tears. So Jesus' path of deliverance for us certainly caused a lot of tears. And if we are to pick up our crosses and follow him, there's also going to be some tears along the way. He says, in this life you will have trouble. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So let's dip our egg into the salt water and take of that together. For some of you who don't like eggs, that was probably worse than the horseradish. <laughs> now, the meal, the meal usually happens right at this moment, after the second cup. So you'd have a full-on meal, which we don't have tonight. We don't have your boxes full of lamb shanks and, uh, and all sorts of goodies. But <clears throat> um, just imagine that there's a whole meal, there's a lot of conversation, there, there's not, nothing really formal going on. Everybody's partaking in two cups of wine. I just imagine that this is, this is a fun, jovial mood by the time you get to the third cup, which uh, is, is the cup of redemption. But before we, we drink from it, the first thing we got to do is we got to do the retrieval. And so I'm going to go ahead and ask Miles to go ahead and find that afikoman. I've got a, g- a gift for you if you find it, but... Um, go ahead and find that Ophikoman and bring it back to me. Oh. 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 Tricky. Bring it, bring it up. Yeah. Good job, buddy. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> so, as you remember, this is the piece of bread that was the center piece of bread that was broken. And then it was hidden but then it came back out later, right? I don't know if that sparks any images in your mind of, uh, of Jesus, but uh, you might think the death, burial, and resurrection, right? And, uh, and this is the time where Jesus, uh, in this third cup, actually institutes the Lord's Supper, or what we call communion. And the beautiful thing is after we've just looked at our sin, we've taken this big old dollop of horseradish and our nostrils are burning. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm actually, I've I've redeemed you, remember? He's taken us into his household, his family, under an outstretched arm. So he's taken us in 
as his own children. He's adopted us. This is what we're remembering right here. Him, us coming under his wings, right? And he's saying that that's sweet. That's a sweet thing. Afikoman literally means dessert. And so it's the only time in the meal where there's something sweet, and it's, it's to remember the sacrifice. Jesus is saying that the sacrifice I'm about to make. Because if you remember, when he does this part, he says, this cup, or this, this bread, it, it represents my body, broken for you. And the cup represents my blood, shed for you. But the thing we don't do about communion is that we don't dip it in honey normally. And so go ahead and pull open that honey packet and put it all over this matzah. You remember how that, that matzah tasted? Just plain, right? You remember also how it probably tasted with horseradish. But take this piece with the honey drizzled all over it and eat it and let's remember God. Remember how sweet is the love of our Lord, the sacrifice of Christ. Why did he do this? He did it so we could have a name, so that he could show us what it looks like to live people who are free and full, to live the abundant life that he talked about. That's why. And so when you take the cup, this is the cup of redemption, remember. When you take the cup, we're supposed to remember that Jesus, what he came to do was actually teach us how to live. Remember, He's delivered, he, he's removed us out of slavery. He's delivered us from our, our slave nature, our sin nature. And now he's showing us a whole new way to live. Mike just talked about how his way of life is often becoming the least. And he proves it by the fact that he's about to go to the cross. Let's remember that right now as we drink from this cup. I'm going to go ahead and pass on the fourth cup to Bryson. Okay, the fourth cup is the cup of protection. So one of the biggest symbols in the Passover meal um, is the symbol of new birth. It's wrought with that symbol, and it's a little awkward for us nowadays to look at it like that, but the way that they would have prepared the lamb, the lamb would have been in a fetal position when they wrapped it to cook it, or the, the blood on the doorpost was a birth canal, or them passing the Red Sea was a passage into new life. They were going into the wilderness. So now I want you to think of, for you guys that have kids in here, um, not me, uh, but if you have a kid or if you have a significant other, um, just imagine when you, bring that, when you bring that baby home or when you're putting it into the car, you are you're worried, right? You're thinking about all those different things that could happen on the way there, right? And you are going to protect this baby at all costs. You're going to drive like you've never driven before, right? If, and if Dwayne the Rock Johnson were to threaten your baby, you would try to fight him, right? That's the kind of protection that God has for us. He loves us and he has selected us, right? So, but a part that I really love about the cup of protection and the image that comes into my mind was when they're crossing over the Red Sea, right? 
the, uh, the, the waters are split, right? And then there is Pharaoh's army that's chasing them, right? So in my mind, I think about the fears that are chasing us, us down, that we might fall back into that old life, right? That, that, that sin might overtake us again, right? And, that, and then I think of how the waves crash and they swallow up Pharaoh's army, right? And that God is protecting his people. He's bringing them into new life with him. And even if you have fallen, right, that God has still selected you. You are still his people. So if you go ahead and uh, open up that cup, and if you guys would, just go ahead and fill them up here. And now when you drink of that, just remember your new birth and think about your baptism or anything that signifies your new life. Okay, so we've drank from uh, four cups so far. And in a second, the band's going to play a song. And during that song, I want you guys to think of a few of these things. So the cup of salvation, I mean, the cup, the cup of sanctification, I will bring you out of slavery. Whatever cup is going to speak to you, I'm just going to go through them real quick. The cup of sanctification, God is, wants to call you out of sin. Maybe you're living in secret sin, whatever that looks like for you. God wants to call you out of that. He has a better life for you. The cup of deliverance. I will free you from that sin. Maybe you are walking in a new life with Christ and you're still struggling, right? And God wants to speak into that, right? And during this time of worship, maybe God wants to speak into that. So just be thinking about that. The third cup, the cup of redemption. When you're coming into his family, maybe you feel like you need to learn more or maybe you feel like you need to obey obey God in a certain way, give more to God. And maybe during the song, you need to be thinking about that. Or the fourth cup, that God has called you a new creation, that he's with you, he's dwelling with you, and that you don't have to worry about being defined by that sin that is pursuing you because he swallows it up. So the song that they're going to be singing is Waymaker, um, that God is a waymaker. He's a, he's, a beautiful, he's a beautiful God, and that he is going to create a path for you. So I'm going to give it up to the band. After the Passover meal was done and you drank your four cups, the oldest son was supposed to wait up all night for an arrival. Uh, it was the arrival of Elijah. Now, Elijah was supposed to be the, the, the symbol of this Messiah, this, this Savior that was going to come and, and bring new life to Israel. And so they would, they would let a child stay up all night to look for this, this, this new Elijah that's going to come and redeem them, right? And so the night that Jesus, as we know, is really the, the Messiah, he's already here, you he came, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples to stay up and pray, to watch and pray. And he, he goes out to his disciples and they're falling asleep. You can't really hardly blame them for drinking four glasses of wine, right? But it's like they're, 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 they're not able to stay, stay up with him. And it's, it's like as he's trying to call them to pray, he actually gets this, he becomes shockingly aware is what the word says, shockingly aware that something is about to happen. And it's so shocking that he starts sweating drops of blood. 
Now, <clears throat> in this day, there was this debate about whether or not there should be, we had four cups, about whether or not there should be a fifth cup. And so I'm going to ask Mike to pass me this cup. This is the, the cup of Elijah. So there was this fifth cup, a possibility of a fifth cup that Jeremiah 25 talks about. It's this cup of God's wrath. God's wrath on the nations is what he talks about against Babylon and all the enemies of Israel. So Israel was obviously waiting for this Messiah, waiting for this, this person to come back and, and to bring God's wrath on the nations. And they're debating on whether or not they should add this fifth cup. And they're saying, well, that wasn't in the four promises. And then the other rabbis would say, well, Pharaoh, he drank from the cup of God's wrath, didn't he, when he was sinking to the bottom of the Red Sea, right? There, there's, and, and drinking from the cup of the 10 plagues. And they, they just decided, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and leave that fifth cup in front of Elijah's seat, which, as you can see, we had empty here tonight, a seat. That every, every Passover meal, there would be an empty seat because they were expecting that Elijah character to show up at their meal. And so we're going to let him decide when he shows up. And then he does show up, right? And what Jesus became shockingly aware of, we, we can actually see because he, he starts to say, God, let this cup pass from me. What was Jesus talking about? Well, I think when he became shockingly aware is he realized this cup wasn't a cup that was going to get poured out on the nations. It was a cup that he was actually going to have to drink himself on the cross. And that's why he starts sweating, drops of blood, and he says, God, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And ultimately, we know that Jesus drinks the cup. And what we can have just confidence in tonight is that the cup is empty. If you're sitting out there saying, is God just waiting to punish me? Is he waiting to bring his wrath down upon me? I've been too much sin in my life. I haven't been following him. I just want to remind you tonight that the cup is empty. That's the good news of Jesus who drank it for us when he went up on the cross and took all of our sin upon his shoulders so that we could have freedom. The cup is empty. God's wrath is no longer there's only love left for us because there's nothing left in this cup. Isn't that good news? Amen. Amen. So what I want you to do is I want you to stand and sing this song because the next song is that we are slaves no more. So if there's no more wrath of God and we've been freed, we've been delivered, we've been sanctified, we, we've been redeemed and we're protected. Why would we live as slaves anymore? We can be free from sin. Let's celebrate God in that. Go ahead and stand.